Hello, friends. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. What's new with you? Well, this week in Toronto, it's JFL 42. So What is that? That is a huge comedy festival. Oh, just for laughs. Just for laughs. Is, just... that, is it known outside of Canada? I think it is, because the Just for Laughs Montreal Festival is basically like, that's where comedy taste is set for uh, like the coming year so i think it's a huge deal man I, w- I would have liked to see some of that i i remember watching the like the stand-up performances on tv as a kid yeah right um if you missed it i will recommend that you check out albums by a couple of my favorite comedians who were there this year uh hari kondabolu oh i know and especially waiting for 2042, which yep. is probably the reason I do stand-up comedy. And uh, W. Kamau Bell is there, and I'm really looking forward to that show tonight. Nice. I'll get to check that out. So now, do you have a song that you'd like to highlight for us this week? They use a, a really good song in here really well, actually. It's called um, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and it's by Tears for Fears. So let's start looking at episode eight, Successor. This scene really takes us back because this is a flashback that takes place in a Ron's coffee. It's a different Ron's coffee because the Wi-Fi is not so great at this one. Which Mobley and Trenton notice while they're awkwardly nerd flirting, I think. Yeah, they're kind of both. uh, I think they both realize that they're kind of technical, trying to suss that out. Maybe because they immediately sit down and open their laptops and begin dueling to see whose <laughs> phone is faster. Yeah, but it's it's not really just a duel. Uh, Trenton is actually using um, a stage fright exploit to take over Mobley's phone. And it, stage fright is actually terrifying because it was a vulnerability in um, Android operating systems in the, like, the audio video imagery decoder functions. So you could send somebody a picture and um, like crash or take over their phone just by them downloading it. And she, uh, people probably don't say owns, she owns him right away. No, they say owns, but it's spelled as a P. We still say it, but we don't <laughs> say pones. <laughs> <laughs> They're both there to meet someone. Yeah, I think that um, they don't really know who they're supposed to meet, though. Well, because Darlene shows up and crashes the party, <laughs> but both of them expected to be there individually meeting with Elliot. So the purpose of this meeting is that Darlene is recruiting them to F Society. She uh, begins reading um, a monologue that Elliot has sent her, and this harkens way back to the pilot episode, because what she says is also the first thing that Elliot says to us, that there are people out there who are pulling the strings, who are living in the shadows, and who are, who are playing God without permission, is how he says it. So this is Darlene kind of repeating Elliot's manifesto to get Trenton and Mobley on board. If you remember in the prior episode, the, um, the members of F Society were all gathered around Mobley's laptop. They were looking at something that was happening today, because now it's tomorrow, and we're about to find out what that is. They are... Producing a new creative work 
from the uh, F Society Quintology. Uh, this is the fifth F Society video. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> There's a big surprise here because we see that Darlene is the speaker behind the mask. I think that before we get too far ahead, we should talk about the fact that they're dialing into this FBI call because that's what they're discovering on the laptop. And so what do they learn from the FBI call? They learn about Operation Berenstain. Which is a project where the U.S. government has put three million Americans under surveillance with no search warrants or other authorization. So once again, this is kind of referencing the, the Snowden revelations, I think. This also helps tie into some of the F Society motifs around, you know, privacy being a right. And so this is great ammunition for them. But it's also fodder for their paranoia. Right, because they make reference to the fact that one of the people under surveillance um, in, this, in this militant group that they're tracking is deceased. And that kind of triggers some alarm bells for Mobley. Mobley in particular has been paranoid for some time about the fallout from this, and this certainly does not help. Yeah, because he thinks that they're talking about him and that the deceased person is Romero. They are kind of having a conversation about this. Cisco is there. I guess he's basically an F-Society. He's like a double agent now. Yeah, he's kind of playing both sides, I guess. And so he's warning them about the Dark Army. And then, oh shit, got a big distraction. Guess who came home? So we see in that scene that the video gets published, and so now that it's public, Angela sees it when she's out at a bar. Right, she's out at a date, and if I remember right, it's with that person who picks her up the last time she was at a bar. That's right, so uh, he's making a reappearance, and it's karaoke night at this particular bar. Angela runs into a familiar face, though. Uh, it wasn't familiar to me. It's not, the face isn't actually familiar to us, but uh, <laughs> Angela knows this guy to be a friend of her father's. And he's pretty brutal to her about her affiliation with E-Corp and those are the people that killed her mother and how could you do this? And she's uh, kind of a dick right back. Yeah, this reminded me of the scene in the shoe store last season because I think that this is just, it's Angela's heel turn. Like she's, she's really becoming a bit of an asshole. Let's look back on our friends at F Society who are busy tying up Susan Jacob. One of her first questions to them is whether this is ISIS related. Yeah, I thought that that was actually really, um, it, it was worth noting because they're really afraid that um, Susan is going to be able to identify them. That's why they're tying her up. They're trying to blackmail her. They're trying to figure out some way to make sure that she can't cause any trouble for them. But it seems like she hasn't identified them as F Society, despite their assumption that she has. She thinks that this is just some like terrorist group or something like that. So maybe she wouldn't even be able to return them in. This particular crisis point kind of pushes, it puts a certain kind of pressure on F Society that starts dr driving them apart. Mobley wants to hard bail on the whole thing. Um, people don't know what to do next because this is something they never anticipated, the idea of having a live hostage. Yeah, it's kind of like another one of those sudden human hurdles. What's unexpected in this scene is Trenton is sent to manage Susan. And I think that Susan, she kind of socially engineers Trenton. Because she tries to play on her sympathies and get her to untie her for a minute so she can use the bathroom, which of course is a ruse, but in the struggle, Trenton knocks her unconscious. Well, Trenton doesn't. Trenton just runs out of the way and Susan runs into a wall and knocks herself unconscious. You know what? That's maybe more fitting with the character uh, because in glossing over the scene, I remember thinking, that's a surprisingly unusual move for yeah. this character. <laughs> so at any rate, Trenton has to go back to the group and sort of sheepishly report that she's out cold and they have to manage it. The situation just keeps getting worse and worse. 
they may be able to guarantee that she won't turn them in. They find out that she, um, they, well, they go through all of her emails, they hack all of her computers, and the ammunition they decide to go to is a relationship that she had with a judge. Interestingly, as much as the arrival of Susan Jacobs seems to um, pull the team members apart, hacking her really brings them together. This brings all of us together. Um, I like the scene. It, there's a, it's a bit of a montage, and Angela's uh, karaoke plays on top of it. So there, there's so much symbolism with Angela singing that song. And also, it, it can kind of relate to F Society as well. Angela is also singing the most like sedated, terrifying version of this song. Like, if you know the original song, I don't know the original. Actually, I live under a rock. Well, it's also from like before your time, but <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it sounds nothing at all like Angela singing it. So that uh, the the tone shift on that one is kind of interesting. Angela f- finishes that uh, performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, Duck from Mad Men makes an appearance uh, to chatter up at the bar. Actually, interestingly, in Mad Men, he also strikes up sexual relationships with inappropriately young women. So, you know, real character actor. It's easy to get typecast in that role. So, well, there's so many characters like that. (laughs) Angela seems a bit drunk. uh, And obviously her date has disappeared. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. So well, actually, I think that she just blows off her date. I just have date is gone. <laughs> yeah, gone because of her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she tries to persuade. Um, I'm just calling him Duck because I don't know the character's name uh, to stick around and chat with her. Let's get a look into the FBI investigation storyline yep. for a moment. There's just a quick scene here. There's a quick scene, and it's interesting because they make use of a character who was really only ever in a brief scene before, because Alex Jones, Darlene's not-so-political, semi-regular hookup, is being interrogated by them. He's being interrogated because they found a gun casing, bullet casing, what do you call it? I believe a bullet casing. Yeah, you know, the, the gun thing. They found a gun thing. And they found that at the arcade, and they were able to trace it to Alex Jones' gun. It seems like that gun is illegal... Uh, and also has been used to shoot something. So they offer him immunity in exchange for information he may have. Let's get a look back now at the smart house at F Society, where Susan Jacobs has woken up. And she's alone with Darlene, which I think is not a position I would want to be in if I were Susan Jacobs. (laughs) No. Darlene frees her from... um, I don't know if it's zip ties that they've got her tied up with. Yeah, I think so. And she offers her a cigarette, which is a custom, uh, usually for people who are about to be executed, (laughs) are offered a last smoke before they go. Well, surely that's not relevant here. (laughs) Um, The reason that she feels so comfortable removing those zip ties is that Darlene is armed with a taser. Where that taser was acquired, maybe it was also Alex Jones' taser. I have no idea. Where did this come from? I do not know. This is the opposite of Chekhov's gun. It's like, if you didn't have a taser in the first scene, I guess just pull it out and use it real quick. This is like Deus Ex stun gun. (laughs) (laughs) There probably is some, like, I feel like somebody is going to hear this and write us an angry email about how we didn't notice them picking it up off the table in a previous scene or something like that. However, (laughs) if you did notice them picking it up off the table in a previous scene, or perhaps you took it out of Susan Jacobs' handbag, you know, let us know. (laughs) We welcome your feedback. So this is obviously a very, very dark scene, but it's actually one of my favorites in season two because I think that it's um, it's pivotal for Darlene's character. 
it's pivotal because she's about to take this to a very personal place. Yeah, well, Susan is a villain to her. Susan was um, the general counsel for E Corp who defended them through Sludgegate. So she kind of has a personal vendetta against her at this point. She remembers her from TV when she was only four years old. So that also, I guess, gives you a sense of the point in time when Mr. Robot had passed away in Darlene's life. But she hasn't forgotten it. Now, Susan desperately tries to bargain her way out of this situation. Darlene is having absolutely none of that. Darlene had made up her minds before she went in there. That's true. I think everything about this is very calculated. And I like, she plays a bit of a cat and mouse game with her where she says, you know, the team wants to blackmail you. We could handle you in this way or that way. She raises the affair with the judge, I think. Yeah. Well, cat and mouse is a very good way to put it because she's really just toying with your food until she's ready to put it out of its misery. Susan tries to bargain. Um, Darlene tases her. Now think back to that previous scene where they're hacking Susan Jacobs. There are emails that we see... uh, about warnings or advice for pacemaker wearers right so like a a person could be killed in this way just if they were tased to unconsciousness and then fell into the water but susan also had a pacemaker so her being shocked probably instantly stopped her heart darlene it's questionable if she would have anticipated that i think that's i think that she probably did but when she goes back to the members of f society she lies to them and I feel like Mobley at this point is probably just like, okay, you guys need to stay away from her because every time you go out there, something really bad happens to her and it just gets worse and worse. I find it interesting that Darlene's deceptive with the team because I think that's the first time that I've noticed that she's done that. She's usually pretty straightforward with them, even when the news is bad. Do you think that it was because she was afraid of how they would react or what do you think her motive was? I do think so because she's the only one with the personal connection or the... Um, not vendetta, but she can get a kind of revenge or justice through this act, which for the rest of them is immaterial. They don't care about one woman, you know, who's part of E-Corp. They want to destroy E-Corp. I suppose what's more relevant to them is going to be the massive repercussions of this, because committing a major act of violence like this is probably going to invite some extra scrutiny. Some of them do, I think, try to call Darlene out on it a little bit where they think she ought to have known about the heart condition and exercise better judgment. And Trenton is just terrified. Poor Trenton. Well, if you think about the group of them, Trenton probably has the most to lose. She's the one that we see with a good family relationship who's kind of connected to that place in time. So it's worst for her to have to potentially flee or go to jail. Now that you mention it, she is probably the most well-adjusted character in F society. <laughs> I know. How does a nice girl like Trenton end up in a hacker crew like F society? Capitalism. It's true because, <laughs> well, I'll dive a bit more into Trenton's motivation in a future episode because I don't want to spoil that point. But in terms of tackling the Susan Jacobs mess, Cisco and Darlene decide they're going to bottom line this. So they take leadership, tell everyone else to get out. They're going to wipe down the house. They'll clean it. Before they do that, they set up a vacation autoresponder just so they don't get suspicious when Susan stops replying to her emails. Yeah, so they buy themselves a little bit of time, right? Now, actually, I'm going to circle back to what I alluded to a second ago, because as Trenton and Mobley are leaving, he has been for a long time trying to convince her to flee, and she doesn't want to leave that family behind. He sort of points the finger at her and says if she had that much to lose, she shouldn't be there at all. But her point is that she did it for them to mm-hmm. try to build a better future and protect them from some of the injustices they had already experienced. And that's where I think Trenton, too, is um, among the more good-hearted of them. Yeah. 
so it's to see her suffering feels a bit different than some of the other characters. So Trenton and Mobley take off, and Darlene and Cisco are left behind to handle Susan Jacobs. I noticed that at different times, Darlene refers to the body as it or her, and it kind of seems like she has some difficulty um, like humanizing Susan, and maybe she doesn't even think that they're a person at this point. Um, Cisco was very reluctant to handle this themselves. He would rather pass this off to a cleaner or like one of the Dark Army associates who can come in and clean up after them, but Darlene doesn't want to take on that risk. It's so interesting because in some ways they can be a very dysfunctional and some ways they can be a very functional kind of couple. They're functional when it comes to dysfunction, I guess. Maybe that's their key. <laughs> that's their jam. So they they have to do a full wipe down right of the house. And that's a really euphemistic way of saying that if Darlene doesn't want the Dark Army to dispose of the body, they're going to have to do it. You know, I think that they should just hearken back to season one. And instead of trying to wipe down everything, they should just try and establish plausible deniability by having a party in there and killing all kinds of people so you wouldn't really know who it was. <laughs> that would really be an end-of-the-world party. <laughs> so they wipe down in the way they've always wiped down before. They put uh, incriminating evidence uh, into a bag and they take it back to the animal crematorium. Yeah, if I was the, the employee there, I would start to be getting suspicious. <laughs> He's also mad because remember last time they freed all of the dogs that were slated for euthanasia that day. So they caused some trouble for him. He says it's going to cost them double. Uh, of course, at this point, I think they're willing to pay any price. Well, especially because it's not their money. They just use Susan's wallet. Yeah, uh, so they swipe Susan's e-coins. It doesn't matter. Double, triple, you know, <laughs> whatevs. Um it's difficult for Cisco. Uh, he's not always the most forthcoming with his feelings, but he does say this is some traumatizing shit. Which it is. Um, it's it's even to the extent that they can't fit Susan's body inside the container into the crematorium, so they need to put her body in directly. And I don't know if it's what they're they're trying to show us here, but they have a shot of Darlene looking at the fire, and it seems to me like she's just taking solace and watching her burn. It's interesting at this point that Darlene and Angela have not been closer because you can see they both held, although maybe Darlene suppressed it a bit more, some of the same hard feelings and anger and desire for justice about Sludgegate that has led them in very different paths. Angela trying to change things from within and Darlene, who has now just killed one of E Corp's lawyers. So it, it's interesting that they run in parallel tracks, but they're never close, really. On the subway, Darlene's pretty freaked out because she doesn't really have any particular feelings about this incident. Yeah, she didn't really know that was something that she was capable of. And Cisco is very weirded out. I don't think that he knew it was something she was capable of either. So that's, that's a big surprise to both of them. Cisco and Darlene have got the house clean up uh, well in hand. Trenton is at her house trying to persuade her family to move away. I guess that she is taking Mobley's advice about piecing out of that situation. The really sad part here is that, remember, we just talked about Trenton's motivation for participating in all of this is to try to build a better future for her family. They say that they can't sell the house and move because of the economic chaos around them. So in a way, she's caused this issue which has closed their escape hatches from the situation. That seems like a theme in this show to have um, unintended consequences when you try and take some kind of noble action, but actually it really just sends everything out of control. It reminded me of um, what Elliot had done with Shayla. That's a good point. 
Ooh, another little sidebar. I already told you I'm reading Ghost in the Wire. Mm-hmm. So back to, this relates back to the Shayla storyline. At some point when Kevin Mitnick is in jail, uh, a drug dealer offers him $5 million to hack into the prison and break him out. I bet he could have done that. <laughs> I wonder if he could have. But anyway, just interesting where this show is really good at absorbing references from other cultural materials around it and building them into the story. So thank you. That just reminded me of that. <laughs> Great book. You know, he has another one that's coming out later this year called The Art of Invisibility. Not to just uh, name oh, props yeah. too much. They're you not can... sponsoring us yet. You can pre-order that book now. I believe. Yes. Let's talk about what... So we've talked about Darlene and Cisco and Trenton. Let's talk about what's happening with Mobley. He's a little paranoid. He's on his way home, but he thinks that there might be people waiting for him there. So he, I think he gets a pizza. But what he does is he gets the pizza delivery person to go and deliver the pizza to his empty apartment. He's using them as a decoy to make sure the FBI aren't already inside. So with the apartment clean, Mobley goes up and he starts packing a bag. But his timing is all wrong. Because... The next thing that happens, there's a knock at the door, and it's the FBI. Mobley is being interrogated now by our favorite lollipop-eating FBI agent. Interestingly, I don't think Dom is as soft or sort of ingratiating as she is with some of the others in this particular interrogation. She calls him, very formally, she calls him Mr. Marquesh. It's not... Like, she's not palling around yeah. in the same way she does with some of the others. And I don't know what the reason for that is, but the approach feels different. I think that she feels that she's kind of backed them into a corner. And if she can kind of start um, going for the jugular. Because she, she, she's being more forceful here. I think that she knows that she has a leverage in this situation. Another the- thing, I think um, I think that she's kind of manipulating Mobley in a way. Because she is outwardly polite, but I think that it's all completely insincere. And she's just trying to get him to reveal all the information that he has. So cut back to an, a season one episode when um, Tyrell was speaking to Price in the aftermath of Sharon Knoll's murder. Tyrell says to Price, um, my heart goes out to Scott. But Price kind of uh, brushes him off and he just knows that Tyrell wasn't being sincere about that. I think that it's the same thing here because Dom actually uses the exact same quote in reference to Mobley's friend Romero, who was shot earlier this season. That's a good catch. I didn't catch that parallel. So how did she catch Mobley? Remember when she offered to roll joints for Romero's mom? What a great friend. What a great friend. What a great new instant FBI friend. That's (laughs) the most convenient kind. As she was um, looking for a drinking glass in the moving boxes, one of them was wrapped up in an end of the world party poster featuring DJ Mobley. Now, DJ Mobley is not a terribly common name. When they do a little bit of digging, they quickly find his Angel Fire page. <laughs> yeah, they're able to use the, the Wayback Machine to kind of find an old version of his websites, which maybe aren't on the public internet anymore, but exist in copies and archives all over the place. That's something I'm kind of afraid of myself, because I don't want to know what my Angel Fire page is like. I mean, I was really more of a GeoCities person, but... You can download a GeoCities archive, so all of those are still out there. This is terrifying to think that every shitty live journal we all ever wrote is uh, just going to float around into the ether until we run for prime minister. Now, let's get back to the the plot line. Um, Dom doesn't really want Mobley. She just sees him as a means to an end, I think. She says they want Tyrell Wellick. Mobley says he wants a lawyer. 
Now, there is a scene here where Dom and her boss are arguing about strategy. They disagree about what the appropriate approach here is, top down versus bottom up. Dom thinks Mobley is a really minor player in all of this. But, of course, they're under a lot of scrutiny now because of the information that was released in the Fifth F Society video that people are under surveillance, that they've been abusing their powers and acting inappropriately. So Mobley's already been held for 12 hours, and it looks bad. They can't continue to just hold him with no reason. That's why the next time we see Mobley, he's back on the street. Mobley wipes down his phone using, um, I think it's Clockwork Mod or some kind of other alternative Android recovery system. Uh, But before he does that, he texts Trenton to say that shit's going down. You really need to get out of here. And after he's done with that, he just uh, leaves his phone in some bike courier's uh, courier thing. Bike basket? Yeah. Is that what it is? (laughs) What's important before we move on, Mobley has a request for Trenton. He says, we're burnt. We got to go meet me where we first met. So that calls back to the beginning of this episode where they're both meeting in the uh, shitty Wi-Fi location of Ron's Coffee. After getting that text, uh, Trenton reluctantly realizes that she does need to leave her home. It's just not safe for her there anymore. I don't remember exactly what Harry Potter movie, or I guess book, that is a book series. I know people are going to be angry at me for that. Hermione eventually uses a spell on her family to make them forget that they ever had children, and then she just takes off. So it was kind of reminding me of that. It's very sad because she, she doesn't give her parents a new closure. She lies to them, and then she just leaves. So we have just a couple more short scenes before the end of the episode. We, back at the FBI office, remember Angela's date that she ditched? Yeah. Yeah, he's an agent. He's uh, <laughs> Agent Bro 1. I have to stop naming every man that way. <laughs> Just something Bro 1? Something Bro 1. Because obviously there are probably several Agent Bros, and I shouldn't <laughs> call them all one. So Agent Bro 1, he, remember, he's been pursuing her for a little bit. Um, but he thinks that that is like a terrible, useless mission. So he lost her. He wants to be off the hook. But he is curious about the dude that she bailed on him for. And so are we, remember? <laughs> but um, there's a funny line here where he says, you know, we look like fools. We look worse than Snowden. And Snowden is on the TV at that time. The agent says that he thinks the pursuit of Angela is a fool's errand and that he really can't get any information or anything out of her or even her interest because she's stone cold. Yeah, he actually feels personally hurt by her. So that really goes to show you uh, what kind of person she is these days. To close out the last couple remaining storylines for this episode, Darlene is at Cisco's and there's a big poster on the wall that says, uh, Regulators Let's Dance. I suggested using that as the logo for this podcast because I loved it so much. In my research, I don't know if this is correct or not because I haven't seen any Christian Slater movies, but I understand it's a reference to a film that came out in 1990 called Young Guns 2, and it's a Western that Christian Slater stars in. A Western about regulation? I don't know. I've never seen it. (laughs) Perhaps we'll have to watch it. This isn't uh, just a normal nice cooling off post-murder home scene. Though, because while Cisco's in the shower, Darlene, I think she can't help herself. She snoops his computer. I wonder if she was suspicious of him to begin with. I think at this point she has to be suspicious of everyone because, and she's most vulnerable to him, right? He knows exactly what she's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, is the only other person who really concretely knows what she did with that body, right? Oh, that's right. So once she notices this, well, first off, actually, we should say that there are a few things she notices, one of which is that um, Cisco has sent pictures of her to the Dark Army. So they are also aware of her face. It's not just Cisco. 
But they also raised the suspicion that um, the Fembris cell that they got to own the FBI might have been backdoored. So maybe the Dark Army is also in control of the FBI's data. That could be a really big problem. That could be a huge problem. Personally problematic for Darlene, he says something like, I have her, she's with me. So Cisco's voluntarily uh, trailing her and keeping an eye on her and reporting back, which I think would unnerve anyone. She takes matters into her own hands, though. Yeah, she smacks him with a baseball bat. Fade to black. There's a very short scene to close out the episode. So Trenton goes to meet Mobley at the original Ron's coffee shop location, but we never see him come. We just hear the door open. Trenton looks over at it and you don't see who comes in. I have never seen The Sopranos. I have seen the finale scene that people always talk about. And I think this is a reference to that. So that's really, that's the end of episode eight. We're left to wonder what's going to become of Mobley and Trenton. And if you like this episode, we'd encourage you to consider donating to Audacity. It's a free and open source um, audio editing program that we use ourselves. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir.